So this morning we are um, once again thrilled to have uh, someone speaking with us today who has been here before earlier this year. He is uh, the pastor of the church plant down in Hartford City called Three Trees. Did I get it right? All right. Good deal. And he is uh, here today to bring God's word to us. Would you please welcome Josh Jones? Thank you. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. We're always really glad when we can be here. Me and Kelly don't get here as often as we would like. Um, before I was a church planter, I was a youth pastor. And I'm going to do something a little youth pastory today, so sorry. Um, if it's possible, can I get three volunteers? Oh, Luke's hand ran up immediately. Okay, Luke. Yeah, go ahead and come up. Okay, uh, I see a hand all the way back there. Oh, we've got all children. <laughs> now I'm going to feel bad about what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> Some of you adults should have stepped up. Okay. What I'm going to do, and you guys have the ability to opt out. You don't have to do this. Um, I have two cups that I'm going to be using. Um, one of these cups is completely clean. The other cup has dirt in it. The third cup is if you need to spit out whatever you drink. Maybe you just don't like root beer. Who knows? Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour this root beer into both cups. I'm going to mix them up behind my back so you have no possible way of knowing which one has dirt in it. Um, and you are going to drink from one of the cups. Now, you can't look inside because that's probably cheating. Um, you just have to look at the outside. Now, if you do not feel comfortable with this, just say, no, I'm good, and opt out. That's totally fine. So, uh, Luke, we're going to start with you, bud. I don't even know how I'm going to do this. Here, just turn around. I'm going to mix them up on the table. Can't do it behind my back. I'm going to spill pop everywhere. Okay. Do you want the cup on the right, the cup on the left, or neither cup? This is my right, his left, so that might have been confusing. And here's this. If you need to spit, just take a sip. Don't take much. It's good. Okay. So he got root beer. He did not get dirt. And because I was a youth pastor and maybe a little sadistic at heart, um, there actually is dirt in here. It's not like I put, like, Oreo crumbles or something. So, oh, wait, no, you can see. You got got to do this where you can't see. What's your name? Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Cup on the right, cup on the left, or neither? Yeah. Left. And wait, 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 wait. Oh, she's brave. She did without anything. Okay. okay. So she did not get the dirt either. Oh, I'm going to feel weird if we get nobody with dirt. Okay, you got to turn around, bud. What's your name? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Okay. A dangerous game. I feel like we're playing Russian roulette, kind of. Okay. Cup on the right, cup on the left. Yeah. Nerve-wracking. Okay. Don't look inside. <laughs> Just take a sip. Don't drink too much. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, Ezekiel, you lost. Come <laughs> <Your> man. <laughs> Poor kid. I'm going to put this one aside. I'm going to drink out of that if I get thirsty. Um, you're probably wondering why I'm making your kids drink dirt. Um, <laughs> the reason that I am, actually, I'm going to need that cup. The reason that I am is because Jesus uses this exact example when he's talking to the Pharisees. Uh, he says to them, you are a cup that by all outward appearances, you are clean. Anybody who looks at this cup, they, you know, they didn't know Ezekiel fell for it because he didn't know which one was clean and which one was dirty. And he said to the Pharisees, outwardly you look very clean, but inwardly you're full of filth. He said you have this greed, this self-indulgence, corruption, hypocrisy, judgment. And the Pharisees, they had all of this that was in their heart. And Jesus knew that the people of Israel, they were drinking from that cup. It was a very dangerous thing. Today, what I want us to think about as, as I read this passage is, which cup are you? Because all of us as Christians, we're one of the two. And the thing that's extremely dangerous is the world drinks from one of these two cups the first time they meet a Christian. And so for some of us, we would say, no, truthfully, I, I am trying to seek the Lord. I'm not perfect, but he's purifying me. He's changing things in me. I'm drawing near to him. I'm loving others. And you're like the cup that he goes, oh, no, you're clean inside and out. I've purified you. But then there's others, I think, in every single church who you're here on Sunday. If you looked at the outside of it, you know, we look clean, but if you were to follow you to your workplace on Monday, you know, you might not look any different than the world whatsoever. You know, you're telling dirty jokes, you're putting people down, you know, you go home and you get into these huge fights, you know, you're drinking every, you know, whatever it is, like, you, you would say, if I'm going to be completely honest, there's some filth still in me. And what I want us to think about today is which of these two cups are us, are we? Jesus was completely pure in the way that he lived. Um, as close as you got to him, there were no faults. He never sinned. And so when people drank from that cup, it was this living water. And it, people loved it. They couldn't get enough because they were thirsty and he satisfied that thirst. And so literally from foreign nations, thousands of people were around Jesus at all times. Everywhere he went, these people came. They were hanging on his every word because they said, what you have is pure. And they couldn't stop drinking it. And that's the way that Jesus lived. He purified his disciples. So even after Jesus left, the crowd still went, we want what you have because they had the Holy Spirit within them. The Pharisees, on the other hand, Jesus said, there's some filth within you. And for the Pharisees, uh, when people got near to them and drank from that cup, they would come away and they'd be like, I just, I feel judged. You know, I see they say they love God, but there's such hypocrisy. You know, they, they have all these rules and they can't even follow them and they're expecting me to follow them. And they walked away from it and it was like, they're repulsed by it. In the same way that Elijah probably doesn't want to drink again from this cup, you know, it's repulsive when you're thirsty and you get something filthy. And so Jesus said that the way the Pharisees was not right. Um, 
most of us have probably met somebody who drank from a filthy cup at some point. How many of you guys have heard somebody who you invited them to church or something, and they say, yeah, that's not really my scene. They say, I went once, but I was judged the entire time I was there. Or, you know, you Christians, you're all just hypocrites, if I'm going to be honest. It's because they, they drank from that cup before finding someone who had the Holy Spirit guiding them. So I want us to think about this today as we're reading the passage that we're going to be in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 through 32. If you want to flip there in your Bibles. Um, Jesus speaks these words to some dirty cups. This is a parable that Jesus tells to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. And they were the religious leaders who... They were pretty inwardly unclean. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, says this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Uh, I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son, and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Well, the first they answered. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So there's two sons Jesus talks about here. The first, the father comes to him and he says, hey, kiddo, uh, can you work in my vineyard? And the son goes, I don't know. I have some plans today, actually, dad. Um, not really feeling like it. And he had some things in his mind he already wanted to do. And so he said, I don't think I'm going to do that, actually. But as the day wore on, that son got thinking about his father, and he, he felt bad for kind of throwing it back in his face and just saying, no, I'm not going to go. And so eventually he said, you know what? Okay, fine. And he went out, and he rolled up his sleeves, and he got to work out there in the vineyard. The second son, the father comes to him and says, hey, will you work in my vineyard? And he goes, oh, yeah, sure thing, Dad. He goes, uh, I will go, sir. You know, it's that very polite he had a sir in the, in the end there. This first son didn't. I will go, sir. And the father leaves, and inwardly he's going, I, he's dreading it. I don't know if I want to actually go out there. You know, I just took a shower. I don't want to go get sweaty. And he's he kind of keeps putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then pretty soon it's night, and he realizes, oh, oh, dang it, I didn't even go out to the vineyard at all today. And so he doesn't go. When I was studying for this message, there was one word which stuck out to me. And for some reason, my brain like, couldn't get past it. And it was that word vineyard. And like every time that I tried to keep going with what I was doing, I kept coming back to that word. And so I did something that maybe is a little bit of overkill. But I ended up looking, every, looking up every single instance in which Jesus uses the word vineyard in the Bible. 
And when I looked it up, there's this pattern which emerged, and it was extremely clear. It's very interesting. Every time that Jesus uses the word vineyard, it's always in reference to the kingdom of God. Vineyard equals kingdom of God. And in every single story that Jesus tells, we are the workers in the vineyard. And so, uh, rapid fire, I'm just going to read some of these. If you've been in the church for a while, you probably have heard some of these before. Matthew chapter 20, workers are hired at different times throughout the day, and they're all paid the same amount by the owner of the vineyard. Matthew 21, the one we just read, owner asks his two sons to work in the vineyard, vineyard only one does. Uh, 21.33, the owner rents out the vineyard to tenants who are supposed to produce its fruit, but instead they kill his servants, and they kill the son, and they try to make the vineyard their own. So Jesus says, the vineyard's taken away from them, and it's given to a people who will produce its fruit. In Luke 13, Jesus talks about a vineyard owner cutting down a tree which has not produced fruit for three years. In John 15, Jesus says, he is the vine, we are the branches, and God will cut off every branch in him that bears no fruit. In every single instance, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. We are the worker, the fruit producers in the vineyard. And so the question is, how do we produce fruit? And fortunately, this is answered for us very clearly in that final one I mentioned, John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, you will produce fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's actually extremely simple. He says, if you draw near to me, then the fruit is going to come. It's the natural outpouring, the natural outgrowth. And he goes, that is, that is bound to happen. You just have to draw close to me. So the first thing that we learn from this passage is we are the workers in the vineyard. We're the sons. The second thing that we learn from this passage is there's this great importance of acting immediately. Something that really stirred out to me is the truest danger wasn't in this outright defiant attitude. There was a much greater risk from subtle overconfidence in your standing, in your own goodness. If you think of the person who's like the most far gone from God, you just kind of picture that in your mind. You know, people might be like, oh, you know, drug dealers or prostitutes or the atheist who has his fist raised towards heaven. He's going, I'll never serve you. You know, whatever image you have in my, your mind of the person who's the most far gone from God, it's not any of them. What Jesus says is there's actually a much greater danger in the person who kind of just like straddles the line and tries to have a foot in both camps. And he looks at God and he says, yeah, I'm serve, I'll serve you, God. And at the same time, he's kind of winking at the world going, and also I'm going to spend some time over there too. And there's this overconfidence that a lot of Christ, Christians end up having, having where they call themselves Christians, but they also have a foot in enemy territory, and they kind of straddle that line. And that is an extremely dangerous place to be. The reason is, Jesus said it's the sick who need a doctor, and those people who have a foot in both camps, they're sick, but they don't know they are sick, and so they don't go to the doctor. They have this self-righteousness that tells them, I'm okay, and they never come to Christ, and they come to church maybe every single Sunday, but they don't come to Christ during the week, 
and nothing's changing in them, and so they're dying and they don't even realize it. You guys, the wholehearted are much more fit for the kingdom, even those who start out wholeheartedly against the gospel. Because those who try to keep a foot in both camps, they never commit to either one. And the Bible says they end up being expelled from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, when talking to a church, he said it this way. It's in Revelation, and he said, he writes them a letter, and he says, I wish you were hot or cold, but as it is, you're lukewarm, and I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's an interesting phrase that Jesus says, I wish you were hot for me or completely against me. I can work with either of those, but he says this lukewarm thing, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's not working for me. How many of you guys have had hot drinks and they're delicious, like coffee or, or hot chocolate or tea, obviously, and you've had cold drinks, you've had, you know, iced tea or you've had uh, lemonade or, you know, whatever, and um, to me, one of the worst tastes in the entire world is lukewarm Sprite. I don't know what it is, but as soon as I take a drink of it, I want to spit it out. Like legitimately, I just, I can't do lukewarm Sprite. And I feel like what the Lord is saying here is this halfway between hot and cold, that's a very dangerous place to be. And he actually says to an entire church, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth if you don't change this. You guys, there are a lot of people who make big claims regarding their faith. You know, they claim to be followers of Christ but they're living in this disobedience to him. And they call themselves Christians, but, you know, they don't live like it in the day-to-day. Maybe they made a decision years back, and they don't want to renounce their faith. They're not going to do that. So they just kind of coast along, still calling themselves Christians, even though nothing is changing inside of them whatsoever. These people, they're not necessarily hypocrites because when they, when they said they were going to go out to the vineyard, they actually meant it back then. But over time, religion is kind of dimmed in their lives until it's no longer anything fruit producing. It's just kind of this vague hope that when they die, maybe their soul will be saved. It's not anything that's transforming them any longer. The danger of a wavering promise is greater than the danger of an outright refusal. That's what we learn in this passage. So we learn from the second son that there's a great danger in not acting immediately. He said, yeah, I'll go, and then he just never did. How often have you guys been maybe here in this service, and you heard a sermon, and it moved you, and you actually felt the spirit moving, and you went, there are some things I've got to change in my life, and I know that God's speaking to me right now. And then you walk out those doors, and maybe an hour or two later, it's kind of just left your mind. I know I've had this happen for sure, where the Lord has spoken something to me, and then, you know, by Tuesday, it's kind of dimmed. I'm like, eh, yeah, okay, that's, yeah. And then by Thursday, I've completely forgotten about the message. And, you know, by the time I come back the next week, nothing's changed. You know, three months down the line, maybe I remember back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was gonna, but I didn't. I think that most of us have probably had this happen, where we intended to change something, and then it just kind of floated away from us. There are a lot of people who go through life making these kind of feeble commitments to the Lord, 
They come to church, they feel that motivation, and they go, Lord, I'm going to do something different now. I'm going to start to follow you. But then they walk out the doors, and their old self kicks in, and they just kind of go right back into their everyday routines and habits, go to work, come home, get on Netflix, you know. And they kind of fall into these same things. They come to church, and they lift it up again, and then they go back, and they kind of sink back down throughout the week. They lift it up and they come back and they sink. And they're up and they're down and they're up and they're down in their emotions. Nothing changes and they kind of just settle into this medium, into this like gray area between the two. They've lost the power to turn a momentary emotion into a permanent change. This is the kind of person who in their emotions they genuinely think that they're serving God but they just kind of hope that that's enough. And they never actually change anything. And this is the person who probably would say, yeah, and God knows my heart. I know in my heart I want to follow him. And God, that's, that's hopefully enough, right? Even though they never actually make it out to the vineyard. James tells us that faith without deeds is dead. Faith without action is dead. So their character never changes, and they walk down this broad road and through this wide gate that leads to destruction. Because you guys, Satan doesn't care how many times you promise God, oh, I'm going to change. I I promise you, God. In fact, Satan would love for you to come every single Sunday and say to the Lord, it's going to happen this week. I'm going to change. Don't worry. I'm getting serious about it now. As long as he can keep you from Jesus throughout the week. If he can keep you from Jesus throughout the week, then Satan, he goes, I've done my job. My work here is done. That's, that's enough for him. Sin is like a cancer. If I was diagnosed with cancer today, and the doctor looked at me and he said, Josh, serious, but we can treat this thing if you start chemo right now. And I were to look at that doctor and I said, okay, chemo kind of sounds like a drag, What I'm going to do is I want to see the world first. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take maybe two, three years, and I'm going to go travel. And I'm going to go every place I've always wanted to go. And then after three years, I'll come back, and then we'll do this chemo thing, and we'll get this taken care of then. You guys already know what would happen is that during that three years while I'm away, the cancer is growing inside of me, and it's weakening me, and it's the infection is spreading through my body. And by the time I get home, it might be too late. The longer I live with that cancer inside of me without dealing with it, the more likely it is that I'm going to die of it. I think that far too often we make these commitments to God, but then we just put off the actual action. You know, maybe you say, okay, I know, Lord, that I need to stop, you know, getting drunk every weekend. And you say, But, and I'm going to do that, Lord, but my cousin's party is this weekend, and he's going to expect me to drink something. And so I'm not going to do too much, just a tiny bit, but after that, Lord, I'm going to actually stop here. Or maybe it's something more like uh, you go, yeah, I know I need to set aside time, and I need to read my Bible or, you know, kind of get serious about this relationship with you, pray to you. But, Lord, if you look at my schedule, this month I am just slammed. And there is no time I can fit in there. And so you go, but next month I'm looking at it. I think it's a little more clear. And so you go, uh, I'm gonna, next month I'm going to get really serious about this. 
And so you kind of are saying to the Lord over and over, just wait a little longer and I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to get out to that vineyard. But just, it's going to be just a little bit longer, Lord. The problem is that we put it off and we put it off and we say, God, I'm really serious about this relationship. I'm going to get serious, but just now is not the best time. And we find ourselves as the second son. Jesus said this, and honestly, it's a little bit scary to me. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, there's a lot of us in this room who would say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. And yet Jesus says, you know, not everyone who says that gets to heaven, right? He says, only the ones who are doing the will of my Father. So this is my challenge to us. We need to begin working in the vineyard, and in time, even the parts that we hesitate to dive into, the Lord is going to make rich and rewarding for us. Um, If somebody is drowning and you pull them out of the water, uh, what you start with is you start with artificial respiration, which means that, you know, if I pull someone out of the water and I'm trying to save them, I'm going to be doing the chest compressions, right? Right? And it's making their lungs move where their lungs are not moving. Their lungs are, by all intents and purposes, they're dead already. But, but you start with artificial respiration. And then eventually the person coughs up some water and they, <coughs> they start breathing again. And their lungs start to do what is natural. But you do what is unnatural first and then the natural kicks in. And there's some of us who we haven't necessarily worked out that faith muscle very much. And so it, it's... You know, we kind of sometimes dread that time with the Lord, and it kind of feels unnatural to us. But what we find is that the more that we say, Lord, this feels unnatural, but today I'm actually going to get serious about this, then what starts as something unnatural, eventually then what the natural desires of our heart that the Lord has placed there, it kicks in, and there is this rich and rewarding experience. I don't know how many of you guys have ever uh, just kind of, you're, you knew, you're like, yeah, I need to read my Bible, you're like, maybe after this TV show, and you just kind of keep putting it off. Has anybody ever had, I've had this experience, so it's not, you're not admitting anything too embarrassing. Um, this is, I feel like this is really normal, but then I've had times where then eventually I did go, and I read my Bible, or I spent some time with the Lord, and I was like, Man, the Lord is saying so much to me through this. I get sucked into the story, and I'm like, why was I even avoiding this? Why was I dreading coming and doing this in the first place? It's like I started with something that felt unnatural to me, but then as I started to actually live out what God was asking of me, that natural kicked in, and the Lord just really started to speak in my spirit. And I feel like this is the actually kind of a normal thing in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. So all we have to do is we draw near to him, and then it's going to happen. So the question I have for you today is when you walk out of here after this service, what are you going to do for the Lord? The passerby who saw both sons, he would have no doubt in his mind which one was pleasing the father. 
right? If you walked up on that scene and you see the one who has his sleeves rolled up and he's pulling up weaves, weeds and he's sweating and he's, you know, gathering the, the fruit and everything. And then you see the other son and he's sitting there in his lawn chair drinking a lemonade, just kind of reading his book. That passerby would immediately go, uh, that one's pleasing the father. That one, I'm pretty sure he should be doing something while the other son does all this work. So I would say to you, give yourself no credit for anything that has not actually happened yet. Just having a desire to do something is not enough. Having the intention to do something is not enough. And so if Jesus is asking something of you today, and it's, I think it's very possible that by the Holy Spirit, he's highlighted something in your mind. When you get out of here, go and do that. This world is a place of constant change. So the young man who refuses the Lord can change into a noble man of God hard at work in the kingdom. And the man who confidently claims, I serve him, can change into a lazy, distant son. We can either change for the better or we can change for the worse. And what I want is for us to choose our trajectory today. And when you walk out of this place, take a couple steps in that direction. So I would challenge you guys to begin to set about the work of the kingdom. Love your neighbor. Set a time, aside time for prayer. Turn from that sin that you know the Lord keeps bringing back to your heart. Maybe that's the filth in your cup. Pray for the strength to resist that sin. Wake up early, read your Bible, or stay up late, whichever one works better for you. Uh, look for chances to encourage the people around you. Take time to actually listen for his voice. Offer to pray for someone. Witness to someone at your work. You know, set about the work of the kingdom. Whatever it is that's going to draw you nearer to the Lord this week. Or bring others to him. Look for those opportunities from his hand. And don't delay. Act on it as soon as you walk out of these doors today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to be dismissed. But I would really challenge everyone in here to strive to be the first son who comes and acts in obedience to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for the chance to be here at this church today. Lord, you know that there is a mixed bag in every single church. There are those of us who are trying to pursue you, and there are some who say, you know, I'm here each Sunday, but I know what's going on in my week by week. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will give us abundant life as we come and we seek you. Lord, you said if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so I ask, Jesus, that we will be faithful for, on our part. We thank you for the rewards and the wonderful things you've offered us. Please help us to begin to walk in the path that is best. We just pray for a filling of your Holy Spirit because we know we can't do it without him. I just pray all this in Jesus' name according to the will of the Father.